Do you remember when you were a kid and you were playing uh, red light, green light? How many, how many remember playing that? I mean, it's kind of a variation of the game statue. And basically, uh, you'd get everybody on one end of the field and then you had a person that was the traffic light. And so they would turn their back to the group and they would cry out, green light, and everybody would start running toward the goal. And then uh, the traffic light person they would turn around and they'd go red light. And you were supposed to freeze wherever, wherever you were. Now, this is where I think everything gets skewed in this game. Because you always had someone, you probably were that person maybe, that they're going to press the boundary. You know, they're going to keep moving. When, you know, after you've said red light, you, you had that person that they'd, they'd keep going. And, and then you go, you were moving. Go back to start. And I go, I wasn't moving. Now, I learned to translate that uh, very early in life. What they meant when they said I wasn't moving was I didn't take more than 10 steps after you called red. <laughs> and, and so you would end up having this discussion with them, or argument, you can pick. But as you're having that, you had to keep your eye on everybody that was on the field, because you always had someone that as you're arguing with that person, they're going. (laughs) You know, and you'd look, and they they were here, and then all of a sudden, they're here. And and you go, you moved. Lots of cheating going on. Lots of stretching the truth, a lot of rule-breaking. And it resulted in problems, and it resulted in a lot of arguing. And because the game wasn't televised, there was no instant replay. And I often thought when we were playing the game, wouldn't it be great if you could have a replay? You know, it would settle all the arguments. You just flash it up. I mean, can you imagine? This is Chris Berman, ESPN. This has been a great RNL GNL tournament. Looks like he ran the red light again. That's illegal motion. It's creating commotion. Now, let's let's see that in slow motion. Red's been called. He's still in motion. Whoop, whoop. He's rumbling, he's dumbling, he's dumbling, and they're mumbling. It'd go something like that, wouldn't it? I mean, the the game just exposed all of, of these flaws in people. You were moving. Go back to start. I wasn't moving. And if things got really serious in the game, as serious as it can get when you're eight or nine years old, you would do one thing for people to really take you at your word so you could be heard. Do you remember this? You'd take an oath. Now, see if you remember this. Cross my heart. Hope to die. That's serious stuff when you're seven years old. Now, there was something you could do, though, if you made that oath so that you could be heard, so they would really believe you. You could take and go like this. Remember this? If you did that, cross my heart, hope to die. Stick a needle in my eye. If you had your fingers crossed, no penalty, 
no foul. And here's what I figured out. That a lot of kids take the finger-crossing trick into adulthood with them. They sort of finger-cross permanently in their lives. And I don't think this is going to be shocking to anyone. When you look at our world today, there just aren't that many truthful people. Covenant-keeping people running around. I was having lunch, uh, this is several years ago, but I was talking to a guy who's an investigator for the police department. And so we got talking about his job and stuff, and he, he said, you know, Damon, I just get tired. I just get tired of people not telling the truth. He said, all day long, oh, it wasn't me. You, you got the wrong person. I, I didn't do that. He said, sometimes I could go 10 or 12 hours and not hear the truth. He said, that's why I love coming to church. It's the only place I know where truth's upheld. And he was kind of a friend uh, of mine, and I go, do you not talk to anybody at church? <laughs> and it took him a little bit, uh, and he goes, oh, you know. But friends, it's not just criminals. It's true in the marketplace. I, I remember when my dad, he was trying to teach me about business, and um, we owned a very small grocery store. And so in the summer, we would carry a little bit of produce, and the uh, truck farmers would come by and we'd buy stuff. And so my dad told me that this summer I was going to be responsible for ordering and buying the produce. And so he said to me very clearly, he said, you make sure you get a good price and you make sure it's fresh. And so I was pretty jazzed. I couldn't wait. And the first truck farmer come by that week and he's, he had corn. He says, do you need corn? And I go, well, what's the price? Man, he gave me a great price. And, I, and then I said, well, is it fresh? He said, I just picked it. It's, it's good. I like, is it really good? He goes, best you'll ever buy. And then he went inside the truck, grabbed a couple pieces. He peeled it back. He goes, good as gold, and showed it to me. Beautiful, beautiful. And so I bought it. And he was right about it would be the best I ever bought because I never got to buy again after that. I mean, not for a long time. Because my dad came home. He goes, so how'd we do? I said, well, we got a great price. They're bars of gold. And I showed him the, the ones that they had showed me. And my dad, he put them down. He walked over. He started husking the ones that they had unloaded. And they were brown. And they were bug-ridden. And some of them were already starting to spoil. And the whole time I'm watching Dad do this, I'm thinking, good as gold? That guy must have had his fingers crossed when he was talking to me. Friends, through the years I've realized that there are a lot of people that live life this way. That deceit is rampant in our culture. You know, it's in the marketplace, it's in politics, it's in our society in general. And if we're honest with ourselves, it's true in us to some degree. I mean, how good's your word? I'll be there. You can count on me. I'll give you a call. You can depend on me. I mean, do you ever make a commitment and then kind of renege on it? 
I mean, to what length do you go to keep your commitments? How, how often do you make a commitment knowing full well you're not going to see it through? You know, Matthew, fifth chapter, Jesus is talking to followers. He's talking to a group of people. And he, Jesus really presses things, and he says, you know what, followers of him were to be truth-filled. They were to, Jesus is going to challenge to make one-word commitments. He says, all you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Jesus said, true believers should be able to make one-word commitments to one another. You know, once you've made these single-syllable covenants, so to speak, it should be a done deal, that the commitment's not breakable, that there's no finger-crossing allowed. Can you imagine what our world would be like? I mean, think about that for a minute. If everyone in the world told the truth, if every time people made commitments with one another, they kept them, this world would be a totally different place, wouldn't it? Jesus said, that's what I want the world to be like. Jesus said, I expect my followers to lead the way, to model truth-telling, to show us what covenant-keeping is really about. Do you see the words are in red up there? You know, some of you may have Bibles. uh, They call them red-letter editions. Anytime Jesus spoke, the words were in red. And it's interesting because... As you read these words, if you track back a few verses, you find out Jesus is seeing red at this point. The the reason why Jesus is seeing red is because people are making oaths, people that are calling themselves Christians or God followers, Christ followers at that time, that they were making these oaths, but they were breaking them, that it had crept into the faith, into the, the faith community. And so Jesus says, again, you've heard it said to the people a long time ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you've made. Now, we need a little history here so that we can kind of get on the same page. In the Old Testament, in order to provide kind of a genuine inspiration and motivation for people to keep their commitments, God would allow them to make their oath in his name. And so it was kind of a seal, so to speak, of uh, how important something was to say, this is really important to me. This is an important commitment. And so I'm going to do it in, in the name of God. This was not done lightly. This was not done very frequently. And it was never done deceitfully. God, God made it very, very clear that if you were going to make an oath and you were going to make that oath in his name, basically you better keep it, no matter what. You know, don't make the oath in his name and then break it. And basically it wasn't up for discussion. You know, it was kind of into the story. There are a lot of scriptures that talk about oaths. One, one in uh, Numbers said a man or a woman who, who makes a vow to the Lord or makes a pledge under oath must never break it He, she, must do exactly 
as they would do. Throughout Scripture, God made it absolutely clear, and there are just a pile of Scriptures. If you make an oath, if you vow, if you make a commitment, that if you do it in His name, serious thing, serious thing. So, so what happened was God's people really wanted flexibility. They wanted semi-binding commitments for, for things. I, I think they fully intended to see them through, but they kind of looked at life and they said, you know, things change in our lives. Things, circumstances change. People change. And so we need flexibility. We want to be able to cross our fingers once in a while, you know, just have that crossing your finger factor involved in what we're doing. And so what they did, they decided that they would change the way that they made an oath. They would seal the deal differently. They decided they would change the the way that they made that commitment. So when they were making a commitment, they didn't use God's name because they knew absolutely if they were to do that, that it was binding, and that it was very, very serious business. And so they just changed the wording altogether. They started making oaths in the name of heaven, in the name of earth, in the name of the the temple or the city. And so they just took God out of the oath altogether. And they figured if they did that, well, I don't have to be as obligated. And so whatever they said, whatever they promised, didn't have to see it through. Now, can you imagine? What happened, the system got really corrupt. Pretty soon people are making promises in the name of everything under the sun. You know, when people broke a, broke a vow, they go, well, I didn't make it in the name of God. I didn't didn't use Jehovah's name when when I made that promise. Therefore, I'm not as obligated to see it through. I don't have to do what I said I was going to do. And so you got all this arguing going on in the temple and with God's people. And they're going, well, this oath really isn't very binding. And they had all these levels of of oaths and how important it was. So if you made an oath in the name of heaven, which was where God dwells, that was kind of like level one. And so you would make that that promise, cross your fingers just in case. But then if you made an oath in the name of the earth, well, you just had your fingers crossed at that point. And then if you made an oath in the name of, um, let's say, Jerusalem or the temple, well, now you got both fingers crossed. And if you made an oath in some other thing, well, it was like you had your fingers crossed, you had your legs crossed, and you had no intention of seeing it through. So instead of the oath inspiring integrity, it became a breeding ground for dishonesty, for corruption. You know, instead of the oath uh, helping people keep their commitments, it really became a loophole kind of for, hey, I can bail out on this one because I had my fingers crossed. Jesus couldn't stand the hypocrisy. He's seeing red. People were claiming to be God-honoring, 
and they had developed this whole procedure or system for making commitments and breaking them without any repercussions. It was kind of glorified finger crossing. I mean, that's all it was, really. And Jesus confronts, and he says, you know what, we've got to get back to basics. He says, but I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by earth, for it's his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it's the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot even make one hair, white or black. It was before Grecian formula, I guess, but... I mean, what's Jesus driving at there? You know, Jesus is saying, you know what? God made the heavens. God made the earth. You know, it's his throne. It's his footstool. You know, God lifted up Jerusalem. And only because God did that is it even important. And in the scheme of things, as as far as making an oath on your own head... He said, do you remember how fragile you are? Do you you remember that you are totally dependent upon God? And so Jesus kind of pushing here. And he says, God reigns over all that stuff that you're making oaths by. God's in charge of all of it. He's the creator, the sustainer of all things. So any deceit that occurs in the cosmos is a violation of his holy character whether it's in his name or not, doesn't matter. Jesus says, you know, God's truth. God hates falsehoods of any kind. You know, God detests deceit that's done in anyone or anything's name, period. God is Lord over all. Jesus is saying, cut out the finger-crossing business, cut out all this oath nonsense, and get back to the basics, Yes means yes. In the vocabulary of a truth-filled person, yes means I'll do it. Yes means you can count on me. Yes means I'll see it through. Yes means I'll do whatever it is that I promise to do. Yes means what? Yes. And in the vocabulary of a truthful person, no means no. No means I can't do it. No means you cannot count on me. No means I won't be there. You know, when I say no, close, close case. Friends, we are image bearers of our creator. And he's trying to get us back to that basic. You know, Jesus is saying, you know what? Yes and no will do. And then he added that little thing. He says, anything beyond that comes from the evil one. Anything beyond that leads to trouble. It's what he's saying. Anything beyond yes and no will really lead to us doing a lot of qualifiers. Anything else, he says, it's got to go. You got to go. Simply forget the levels of oaths. Be people of your word. I mean, five short verses in Scripture. Jesus just demolishes this corrupt, deceitful, vow making system that had kind of evolved in the religious community. And I believe that he was speaking to people then and now. In fact, I believe Jesus was talking to people at Faith Fellowship. I mean, this stuff's got practical uh, application in our lives. I mean, 
I believe if Jesus were here today, that he might caution us about some of the commitments we make to one another, that kind of the everyday conversation stuff, you know, like, hey, I'll call you. Hey, let, let's do lunch sometime. You know, I, I'll get back to you on that. You know, I'll pray for you. Do we really intend to keep those commitments when we say that? I mean, do we really? Or, or do we kind of cross our fingers a little bit? And I know as I'm saying this, some of you are going, oh, come on, Damon. I mean, this is an innocent exchange, and, and nobody really takes this stuff serious. God does. God's truth. God's a truth teller. And I believe God expects Christ followers to speak the truth, even in everyday conversations. Every moment of every day. Even those casual conversations. I mean, they're included here. God says, if you say yes, mean it and do it. If you say no, puts an end to it. It has huge implications, I think, in our lives. You know, in our families. You know, implications that I believe are real. They're significant. They matter. I mean, they, they affect our marriages, for instance. Let's say your, your spouse, you know, asks, hey, what time are you going to be home? Um, I'll be home at 6. Yes, 6. Well, see, if we're people of our word, then your spouse knows you're going to be home at 6. Does it matter? Well, it does to your spouse. And it will to you. You know, it, it affects us in our parent-child relationships. Yes, honey, I'm, I'm going to play a game with you tonight. I'm going to take you camping this summer. I, I'm going to carve time out every week, and we'll have an evening just, just us. We'll have family time. And here's my question. Do you mean it? More importantly, do you follow through with it? Or is there a little finger crossing going on? I'll promise it, but we'll see how it goes. And parents, I want to say something to you. Your kids, your kids, they track your commitment-breaking average. They track it. Kind of like people track the stock market. I mean, they zero in. And if your commitment follow-through or average is low, they'll grow up just like you. So when they get older and they grab the car keys... And you go, where are you going? They will look you straight in the eye and they'll say, going to the library to study. You're going to look at them. You're going to go, they're just like me. Oh, yes, they are. I mean, it's something to think about. Something to think about. It has huge implications in our friendships. Hey, I'll swing by later. I'll get back to you on that. I'll hold you accountable for that. If you need me, I will be there. You can count on me no matter what. Do we mean that when we say that? Do we mean that? I mean, no ifs, ands, or buts. No, no finger crossing. I, I don't know about you, 
but I would much rather someone be truthful with me and disappoint me at the time rather than lead me down some path and dash my expectations later. In other words, I don't mind if someone says, you know, Damon, I can't help with that project. Damon, I, I can't make that commitment. I mean, I, I could, could, but I won't be able to follow through with it probably. I'll break it. See, I would rather someone just serve it up to me straight. Because I can't tell you how many times I've had my expectations dashed. My brothers and sisters that I love, I'll be there. I'll carry the ball. You can count on me. And then you realize at some point there was some finger crossing going on. My point is, make those commitments. Be very, very, very careful. Because God takes it serious. And my guess is the person that you're making a commitment does too. And sometimes people will catch me after, after service and uh, they'll, they'll tell me about something that's going on in their life and they'll, they'll ask me if I'll keep them in my prayers. And you know if you've ever asked me this, that I do the same thing every time I say, do you mind if I pray with you right now? And I'll have prayer. And if it's something major, you know, like a crisis or there's an upcoming uh, event or something that they're trying to get through, then I'll tell them, I'll add you to my list, but I'm going to be checking back with you. And at some point, I'm going to take you off. And so I do that. I get back with people. I go, okay, things are better now, or we've gotten through whatever we're going through, or, you know, it's at least got down off the the crisis level. And so at some point in our conversations, and at some point in time, I'll say to them, I'll say, I'm going to take you off my prayer list. They'll go, oh, just keep me on there. I like being on your prayer list. And I will say, I'm sorry, I can't do that. I cannot make that commitment to pray for you every day. My my list would just get too long, overwhelming. And about a third of the time when I say, no, I can't do that, I get this look like, you're a pastor. You're not going to pray for me every day? Are you really telling me you won't do that? Yeah. Friends, I couldn't pray for everyone Every day. I mean, I'm very disciplined with my prayer life. But that list would get so long, I absolutely couldn't do it. I just couldn't do it. And here's my philosophy. I would rather be a truthful minister than a deceitful one. I mean, it might hurt you. That I can't pray for each person individually every day. But my point is simply... Be very, very careful the conversational commitments that you make because they're serious. And be careful with formal vows that you make. Uh, you know, in the, this passage that we've been looking at, Jesus is not outlawing the making of vows altogether. You know, Jesus primarily is trying to tear down the, this house of cards that, that we've created, that people had created. He's trying to deal with kind of the smoke and mirrors of making these deceitful oaths. The, you know, basically, oh, I can break out of it and there's no repercussions or no, no problems or anything I got to deal with. And so, 
he, he just wants to destroy the whole system that the religious community had created for oath-making and breaking. He says, God, go. You know, the Bible, it confirms many, many times through Scripture that making formal vows is a useful thing. It's a good thing. That whether it be marriage vows or parental vows, some of you made them when you dedicated your kids or church vows or, or whatever, things that, that are important. The Bible gives instances over and over of men and women that were seeking God that made legitimate vows in their lives. And they made them because really what they wanted to do was kind of underscore the importance and underscore the, the purpose that, that God had in that. And so they, they would stand and they would use God's name in public arenas and they'd say, I stand before you, I stand before God, and I make this vow. And it's important to me, it's so important to me that I'm making this vow publicly to show my love and loyalty. And the Bible said that's a good thing. It's a good thing. Solomon, he, he writes these words in Ecclesiastes, says, when you make a promise to God, don't delay following through, for God takes no pleasure in fools. Keep all the promises you make to him. In other words, whatever you say, whatever you're going to do, follow through. It is better to say nothing than to make a promise and not keep it. Scripture says when you... When you take that stance, when you take and make that vow, you ought to enter into it very soberly. You ought to carefully consider what you're committing to, and then you see it through. Those of you that are married, are you keeping that vow? I mean, I have sat with hundreds of couples through the years, and as they've made that commitment before God to each other, We'll talk about it ahead of time. I'll say, you know, this is about loving one another from this day forward for better or worse. Really bad times. It can get worse. You know, in richer or poorer, you can be really, really poor. In sickness, the tough times. And in health, do you promise to love and to cherish until death? Yes or no? Yes or no? You know, it's a vow before God. It's serious, serious stuff. You know, some of you parents, you've dedicated your kids to, to God. Are, are you helping them grow and mature? Are you helping them grow in their faith? You know, are you making faith a priority? Are, are you making it here regularly? You know, are you modeling the Christian faith? Are you showing them what a relationship with Jesus Christ looks like? You know, are you disciplining your kids in a way that you're instilling values and ethics and preparing them to lead a God-honoring life? I mean, are you? Really? Are you? Because you need to be committed in this season, especially as you're raising them, because your kids are impressionable, stakes are high, eternity's on the line. You know, several times a year, I get the joy and the opportunity of watching Folks that uh, stand here in this auditorium, they make a commitment to faith fellowship. They've gone through the F2 class that uh, they were talking about earlier. That kind of helps them understand what, what uh, we're about as a church. And it's a time when people 
reaffirm their, their vows and their commitment to, to God and Jesus Christ being a Christian. And they stand here in, in the auditorium basically saying, I'm making a commitment. And it's an exciting time. I, I believe that God delights, that he looks down and he smiles when people go, you know what, God led me to this church and I'm committed. But you've also got the flip side. You know, we're a commitment-free culture. People do not like commitments overall. You know why? Because I think in our DNA, I think fundamentally, we, we, we feel obligated when we commit to something. And I think we feel guilty inside if we don't follow through, if we don't see it through or whatever. But I think a lot of people get pretty comfortable hanging out in the shadows. Don't have to serve. Don't have to pray. Don't have to give. Don't have accountability. Don't have responsibility. And I often wonder, I mean, what God thinks about commitment-free Christians. You know, commitment, serious thing. Serious thing. Don't take it lightly. No finger-crossing. It can be used to motivate us, to provide us with accountability, to help us seal what our best intentions are. I believe that it demonstrates love and loyalty. But my point is, when you make commitment, whatever they are, we should see it through. Now, when you break a commitment, which, just newsflash, we've all done We've all done it. Somewhere along the way, we've broken commitments. Well, don't throw commitments out the window and go, well, I'm done with commitments. Never going to do that again. I think you just have to acknowledge that we've all broken some of them. Got to acknowledge that we've failed somewhere along the way. We need to acknowledge it to God, maybe our spouse, maybe our kids, maybe our friends, maybe the church. I, I don't know. But I think there comes a point and you, you own it. You ask God for forgiveness. Maybe you renew those vows. But you absolutely are very, very careful as you make commitments from that day forward. Now, one final thought here. God is a covenant keeper. God makes commitments to us and he keeps them in the beauty, God keeps them perfectly. Never misses a beat. And I'll tell you, over time, the longer I have walked with God, it's the quality that I love more and more all the time. God's faithful. God's faithful. God, God is not a commitment-free God. In fact, I believe God went way out on a limb. And he he said to all creation, so everyone would hear it loud and clear, that he loves you. He loves me. He said, you know, you may may take and uh, throw that back in my face. You may thumb your nose. You may spin on your heels and dismiss me. But I love you. And I'm going to go on record. I'm making a commitment to you. In fact, I am going to love you, and I'm going to keep loving you no matter what, and I'm so committed, God says, I'm going to send my son. And he's going to die for you. That's how committed I am.
Scripture says, whoever calls on his name will be saved. That's commitment. I mean, that's something you can count on. You know, when you're walking through the tough times, when you're walking through the fires and you're, you're in the deep waters, when, when you face those obstacles and problems of life, when you face death, God makes a commitment. He'll see you through it, that he'll be with you no matter what. Everybody else may abandon you, but you will never be alone. You can count on it. What a commitment. God's word's full of commitments that he makes to us. God says, I commit to bear fruit in your life. I commit to make a difference and use you to make a difference in this world. You know, God says, I I promise to energize the giftedness in you, to get involved in your life supernaturally. I mean, that's commitment again. I mean, if you cooperate with God, God will follow through with that and do it. God says, I promise to take you home someday to eternity, that you'll be with me forever Commitment you can count on. And friends, I have realized that God is so committed to me, so committed to you, that I can kind of relax in my faith. I can kind of have some peace about the future because it's been secured in Jesus Christ. I mean, God saved you. God adopted you. God promises he'll always be with you, that he'll use you. He's promised you eternity. That's commitment, friends. We serve a committed, commitment-keeping God. And I think that ought to motivate us to be commitment keepers too. Now, you got to watch out. That red light ought to go off when we're making commitments going, okay, do I really mean what I'm saying? And I think if we look at the words in red, that'll remind us how we're supposed to live. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Yes No. None of this. Yes. No. Pretty basic, isn't it? But it's hard to do. But I believe that's what Christ calls us to. Let's bow in a word of prayer together. Our holy God. God, I thank you for your faithfulness. And God, I pray that whatever words roll off our tongue. God, may they always be true. Whether it's casual or it's serious business, that people go, you know what, when they say it, you can take it to the bank. God, I pray you would give us the courage and the strength in those moments when we should say no but we say yes, that we guard ourselves from that. And we know when we say yes, we're true to our word. God, give us wisdom to live that out in our marriages, in our families, in our lives, with our friends, people that we work with. God, the rest of the world may not recognize truth. 
God, I pray that your people do. When people talk about faith fellowship, they go, you know, those people are honest. You can count on them. God, we give you the glory. We give you the praise this day and every day with all we say and do. And all God's people said,